When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. We are full steam ahead in training camp right now, today, August 10th. We've had about two weeks of New York Jets training camp. We've already had a bunch of padded practices. We've completed the green and white scrimmage, and now we're like four days away from the Jets' first preseason game of the season against the New York Giants, the first of three in MetLife Stadium at Giants, of course, here for this one. But we are going to talk about everything that's going on in training camp right now, including injuries, transactions, AFC East Nuggets, And then the bulk of the episode is going to be around offensive player updates and defensive player updates, just going through the position groups. We did the 53-man roster projection last week. Not much has changed on that front. I think that for the most part, the players that I expected to be doing well are doing well. There are still some guys that are showing up on the the back half. And keep in mind, we've got a lot of training camp to go. We haven't done a preseason game yet. We've not been in full speed tackling mode yet. But we're going to talk about who's trending up, who's trending down from each group. And then I'm proud to say that my dad is back with a father time for this episode. I got a what's on tap. We're going to do all that good stuff and then talk about what's upcoming for the Jets before next week's episode or two weeks, which will be on the 24th. So tons of good stuff to get to. Before we do all that, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. I always appreciate any ratings and reviews and comments that you guys leave. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan as well. So let's get into it, starting with all of the news of the past two weeks. Since last podcast episode on July 27th, Zach Wilson signed his rookie contract. Whoop-de-doo, that was a while ago, and at this point, it doesn't even feel like it was a big deal at all. He missed a few practices. We knew it wasn't a big time when it was happening. It was just annoying. We wanted to get him out there, but he's out there now, so no sense crying over spilled milk. He ended up coming to a contract negotiation between the organization and his agent where he would get like a 15-day deferred signing bonus, and then they'd still have the offset language and everything, but it was a happy medium for both sides. Everybody wins. Zach Wilson's in camp. Some of the more negative news is the injuries around the team, and this is the time of year where injuries can be a huge issue. If you look around the league right now, there are rookies, there are big-time players that are already set to miss the entire season or weeks and weeks of it, and luckily the Jets don't have any serious injuries. The only ones who are actually delayed to miss Probably the beginning of the season would be like Vinnie Curry and Ashton Davis, who we already knew about, and they're still expected to come back for week two. But other than that, the rookie Elijah Vera Tucker, he's been day-to-day for like a week or so. We want to get him back. He needs to get back on the field and start getting a little bit of reps under his belt. And, uh, you know, day-to-day is one thing, but if it ends up being day-to-day for a month, we've seen that hamstrings that are day-to-day, and it ends up missing week after week. And hopefully it's not one of those situations. Let's just get him back out there. Quinn Williams, who's been banged up with that foot injury, um, he's going to be back very soon. Cam Clark, the last-year rookie offensive lineman, he had a pretty serious injury. He was taken off out of an ambulance uh, on a spine board, and he's going to be okay. It looks like it was spinal contusion. Not exactly sure what the timetable for his return is, but I didn't have him making the final 53-man roster anyway. So, of course, we hope he's okay in his personal life and everything like that, but there's a good chance that he was on the back end of that roster. Teton Salty is another guy who was potentially fighting for a spot on the offensive line, but wasn't projected to make it at this point. He got a knee injury and was waived. Vinnie Curry, Ashton Davis, we talked about them, still expected to come back around week two. And then some other guys that aren't practicing currently right now, Jabari Zaniga, Kyle Phillips, and Ronald Blair. So these are some guys in the defensive line that we'd like to, you know, get back. But the good news is that is by far the deepest position on this team. And if there's anywhere that you could, you know, withstand some blows and injuries and some banged up guys, it would be that defensive line. And then today, Justin Hardy, the potential special teams ace for the Jets, he limped off. 
They're checking him right now to see if he's got a possible hip strain, but we'll see if he's all right uh, in the coming days. But that's what's going on right now. No serious injuries, nothing crazy. We still have a lot of training camp to go. We still have all the preseason games. And the biggest thing of all, through all of training camp, the biggest thing is not getting serious injuries. Now, we know that injuries happen to every single team every single year. You know, it happens at different levels to every team. But in reality, a few key injuries or lack thereof can be the difference between a playoff team and a non-playoff team or even bigger than that in some cases. So that's what's going on with the injuries right now. We'll keep you updated as this stuff goes on. Next podcast episode is going to be on the 24th, so everything that happens between now and then will be covered on that episode. But uh, the next bit of news is all the transactions that took place. And finally, the New York Jets heard our call. Sam Ficken was released. He was not good at kicking ever. And he came in in a pinch when we had absolutely nobody to kick. And for some reason, he hung on for way too long. He didn't kick very well at all. And then he was doing horrible in this training camp through the first week or so. They got rid of him, and they signed a guy named Matt Amendola, who's never actually kicked within the league yet. And uh, I believe he was an undrafted guy in 2020. Was kind of hanging around the Panthers last season in the training camp situation. It got cut and then spent this offseason working on his leg and his strength and everything to try to get better, and so we brought him back in, and he's now competing with Chris Nagar to be our kicker within guys on the roster, and both of them are doing all right. I still believe the kicker is not on this roster. Most teams, if you look at the free agents right now, there are no good free agent kickers. Matt Amendola was honestly probably like the best one, but when you look at these teams, most teams go into training camp with two kickers just in case you have an injury and to keep people competing to get another leg in there to get your eyes on some other players just in case you get into a jam later in the season. You've got a guy who's kind of familiar with you and everything, but most teams have two kickers, and when it goes into the regular season with a 53-man roster, they will not carry two. So most teams will be cutting a kicker. And, you know, a guy like, you look at the Buccaneers, who I wanted to draft, I stamped my feet for Jose Borgales, the Lou Groza award winner, and he may be getting cut if Ryan Suckup, the actual kicker for the Buccaneers, the expected kicker, if he wins the job, Jose Borgales easily could be on the outside looking in, and that would be the type of guy the Jets could scoop up, or an old veteran who's there, you know, guys like Brett Maher were picked up, and they're on some teams on the back half of the roster, could potentially be a guy that the Jets could get. Welcome to the team, Matt Amendola. Other than that, the Jets waived Teton Salties, who was fighting for a backup lineman spot, and he got a knee injury, so they cut him, and they picked up a guy named David Moore. He's never played yet. He was with the Panthers. They have a lot of offensive linemen there, a ton of tackles. They don't have a great group, but they're trying to compete with people and see who's going to rise to the top. For whatever reason, they wanted to cut David Moore, who wasn't performing to them or didn't fit their scheme or their concept or maybe wasn't great in their locker room. I'm not entirely sure. There's uh, mixed opinions right now as this is still very fresh. People within the Panthers organization, people like speaking on the Panthers, are like, this guy should not have been cut at this point in time. But... The Jets submitted a waiver claim, as did a few other teams, and they got him. So he'll be competing for that situation, um, you know, one of the guard situations because Cam Clark just got injured. And then Alex Lewis, the next guy on the list, he's currently on the exempt list because he's dealing with some stuff that's, in quotes, bigger than football. He had a head injury. I guess it happened last year, and he's considering retirement at this point. And honestly, we want him to be safe. We want him to do what's right for him and his family and everything. But he's not a guy that we need in the long-term future of the New York Jets because he's just frankly not very good. I think he's going to be even worse at the zone scheme. He's not a road grader. He's not the guy that you want next to Mekhi Becton. And that's supposed to be Elijah Vera Tucker, of course. But your backup, as we know, comes in and plays very often. And uh, hopefully it's not him. So David Moore's going to have an opportunity to fight for that spot. Alex Lewis potentially will be moving on. And the Jets actually brought in a veteran quarterback. And we were talking about this all offseason. Who would the Jets bring in to compete with? Not compete with Zach Wilson, but to kind of be there as a mentor and then compete with Captain Morgan and Mike White for that backup quarterback job just in case something happens to Zach Wilson so you're not stuck in a Luke Falk situation with Mike White playing quarterback. They bring in Josh Johnson, who you may remember being a backup quarterback with the Jets the year that Sam Darnold was drafted. He was on the roster with Teddy Bridgewater, Josh McCown, Sam Darnold, and then him, and he was the fourth quarterback, played in some preseason games, did all right. But in reality, he's been on like 15 NFL teams. I think it's his 17th distinct NFL stint. He played in the AAF. He played in the XFL. He's been on the Jets already. He's been on most teams in the entire league, been in the league since 2009. And, I mean, this guy, there's one thing about him. He's a true journeyman. To last this long in the league and be 35, play for that many teams, and keep getting shots, you must be doing something right. You must have a good work ethic. You've seen so many things. You've seen the insides of so many different facilities and organizations and the way teams are run and different schemes and whatnot. You must have some stuff to offer. And they brought him in for that. 
he's going to play in the preseason as you have those minutes. You need to get another guy in there and work your backups. It's very possible that he won't make the final roster, that he's not the end-all, be-all backup quarterback for the Jets. You're hoping that it's going to be, I think Captain Morgan, I think would be the ideal choice because we drafted him. He's young. He's got a contract still cheap. But uh, they got to find the right guy, and they do want to have some veteran presence in the locker room to help out Zach Wilson. So I think Josh Johnson wasn't the flashiest pick, not a guy that you would maybe know by name, but a guy that has been around and has some stuff to offer. So welcome to the team for him as well. And moving on from all that stuff, we got a little bit of AFC East news that I want to touch on really quick just because the AFC East is where we're going to be competing for the division, maybe not this year, but in the next few years. So number one, Josh Allen, he was in that Sam Darnold rookie class. He just signed a six-year extension for $258 million with a guaranteed $150 million in there. And good for him. He played extraordinary. He was actually an MVP candidate, which sounds crazy to think about after where we were scouting him just a couple of years ago. My dad loved him, but 95% of the people said that he was probably too big of a project and probably not going to pan out in the NFL. Boy, was everybody wrong. He's dominating. But you give him a contract like that this early on, I'm not convinced that Josh Allen is the perfect answer for the Bills and that he's actually truly fixed. This wasn't just like his best season. He could definitely take a step back, and they're not going to pay him a ton this year. It's like $10 million this year and $16 million next year. But after that, it's going to be basically $40 million hits plus on their books every single year, and that is going to really hurt that team. Even if he's playing great, that's a huge, huge chunk of your salary cap. And if he's not playing great, if he regresses at all, any bit, then that's really going to mess that team up. So they need to hope that he wasn't just, you know, <laughs> that his growth and everything that happened in three years really, really fast that that's all permanent stuff and going to stay there, especially as teams in the AFC East continue to get better and keep working up their quarterbacks. So we'll see what happens. Uh, They definitely put all their cards in the Josh Allen basket, so he's not going anywhere. We will be watching him play against the Jets for a very, very long time. For better or for worse, we will see. He's been great so far, but still plenty of room for things to change. Looking at the Dolphins team, Xavier Howard, he had originally requested a trade because he wanted to make more money, even though he had a big contract and he still had so many years left. I think that stuff is ridiculous at a certain level. It's like you sign the contract, just play it out. That's kind of what the whole point of the contract is. But uh, he wanted another one. Eventually, they came to terms to renegotiate and kind of give him some stuff, some incentives, a little bit of money here. I think he's probably going to have an opportunity to leave the Dolphins earlier if he doesn't want to be there than he would have had on his contract before. So he's going to stick around. And the reason I mention him is because he's always been a Jet killer. He's had some big, big games against the Jets, always seems to find a way to get an interception when he plays against us. And he's going to be sticking around there as well. I was hoping to see him moved and see the Dolphins in a tough spot where they had to get rid of one of their best players, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen now. He's probably pleased that they came to terms with him and actually you know, helped him out a little bit. And the Patriots, I didn't want to leave the Patriots out, so I want to do a little bit of news there. Hunter Henry, one of the two tight ends that they signed in the offseason, it was John U. Smith and Hunter Henry, and it was kind of this big Bill Belichick offseason, going to try to rework that offense, rework that defense. And uh, Hunter Henry's injured right now. He's week to week. He's a guy that's never played a full season his entire career. He was a guy that the Jets were potentially looking at. We knew that we wanted to have a good tight end in this offense, kind of running how the 49ers do, our George Kittle of sorts. And there weren't very many good free agent opportunities that were, you know, George Kittle level, of course. There aren't any in the league. But Hunter Henry was one of them. We talked about it, and being as injury prone as he is, it just you couldn't see him playing 16 games and showing up. And the Patriots paid him $12.5 million a year. And there he is. Injured, not playing right now. I think that signing is going to come to bite them in the butt. $12.5 million for a guy that can't play a full season is kind of a big deal. And in reality, I've said on this podcast before, I'm just going to say it one more time, Bill Belichick right now is putting in everything that he's got to try to win now and get the team back to relevance for one last gasp. When it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, he's going to move on from being a coach in the next few years. And you won't see him get fired because the Patriots will have too much respect for him to fire Bill Belichick for doing a bad job. You'll see him switch into a consultant role. You'll see him switch into some other role and take a step away. It'll be his decision to do something else, probably still within the team, and it'll be phrased as that. But really, that's him being fired. That's him not being able to be a successful coach without Tom Brady on the field. That's him continuing what he was doing in Cleveland, continuing what he's doing after Tom Brady's been gone. And he can spend all the money in the world right now, but if you're not making the right picks, you're not drafting the right players, and you're spending the money in the wrong places, your team's not going to be good. And so that's what we're going to see there with the New England Patriots. Really looking forward to that. 
So moving on, we are going to talk about the main stuff is going to be the positional breakdowns, offense and defense, the players that are doing what in training camp right now. But I did mention that this week we have a father time submission. So before getting into everything, I'm going to give my dad the floor for this week's father time that we have missed for the last few weeks. Welcome back, dad. My dad, David Burnham, and his thoughts on the Jets this week. Here we go. Think of the wholesale changes that the New York Jets made. And what is there not to like? This is August, so there's a lot to like. Salah is a leader of a band of college captains. JD is completely on board with Salah with a team vision. A new offense, a new defense. The Johnsons are nowhere to be found. Heck, both field goal kickers competing went 4 for 4 today. I won't ask why they didn't kick 40 times each. And Zach is trying so hard to be good fast. Today was the final installation of the offensive playbook. He's finally seen it all, but has perfected none of it. They gave him big chunks at a time, and he will get there. I'm sure of it. He wants to work and is willing to struggle to be good. This is a complicated offense that has timing throws, unlike anything he saw at BYU. And that's why the Smash Bros are in town and ready to usher their blocking victims to the sidelines. Or the ground pancake style. The run game will be up front and center, opening gaping holes for our running backs. And of course, our new D-line will be chasing the quarterback all night. Saturday, against the Giants, I'm keeping my eye on Becton versus the opponent and Lawson against his opponent. Is Lawson really that good? The new zone blocking scheme as well. Cornerbacks on defense and receivers on offense. Who's getting open and who isn't? And the rookies. So many rookies, and I can't wait to see Elijah Moore break loose. And I'm rooting for our forgotten man, Denzel Mims, to shine. It's August. There's a lot to like. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa. Welcome back, Dad. Coming in with a whole ball of fire here. All sorts of hot takes. I love it. He's absolutely right about this stuff. Um, Beginning with his first thoughts. Sala is here. He's a leader. I watch every single one of his uh, post-training camp press conferences, and this guy speaks so well. He can handle the media so well. We haven't seen a coach like this with so much confidence, able to speak so well in this media, and he's not looking for the shine. He's not looking to just get away. He's out there answering questions the right way, and it comes naturally to him. You can tell that he is a natural leader, so we love that. We love JD's trust in him. We love the new offense, the new defense, because obviously we needed to revamp everything. We love the Johnsons being completely out of the picture. You don't see Woody or Chris Johnson, aside from stuff on Twitter, like posting highlights from Woody Johnson. That's about it. And then the kickers, I guess both of them making four field goals. That is great. But he moves on to the next step. Zach Wilson, his confidence in him gives me confidence in him, because my dad has gone through as many bad quarterbacks and quarterbacks drafted that I've seen fail within the New York Jets organization. My dad has seen plenty more of them. And he believes in Zach Wilson, and we always do at this point with our quarterbacks. But he's willing to struggle to be good, as my dad said. And this is the kind of guy that when he gets it, when he learns the offense and starts to sink in, he has the natural ability to be great. So that's what we're looking for. Loves the offensive line, making big running holes. I love all that. But then going down to the stuff that he wants to keep his eye on. We're going to talk about these position groups later. But one of the big ones that's coming out of camp right now is Lawson is absolutely dominating. And he's basically going up on the left side against his right side of the defense, but on the left side of the offensive line against Mekhi Becton on most downs. And he is getting past him frequently, getting multiple sacks per practice. They're not real sacks. You just have to touch the quarterback as they wear their red pennies. But he's getting past him all the time. And we're wondering, is Mekhi not doing great? Or is Lawson just that freaking good? And the hope is that Mekhi is awesome and Lawson is just incredible because Lawson was the biggest signing of the offseason for the Jets. You can say that it was one of these, you know, Corey Davis was a big one and super exciting. Um, But Lawson was the big name and the guy that we really needed as an edge rusher, one of those really premium positions that are super hard to find. You can find wide receivers much easier than defensive end edge rushers. And Lawson is that. And if he is that good, if he truly is a game-changing guy that just wasn't used right or just hadn't quite hit the ceiling in Cincinnati... That would be huge. So looking for that, absolutely, I'm with him. Definitely looking to see Elijah Moore because who's not? This guy has been awesome all camp long. Seeing him on the field is going to be great. And Denzel Mims. My dad and I were both big Denzel Mims fans last year. Really wanted just to draft him. We're super happy when they did. Couldn't wait for him to get back on the field after being injured. And then when he made plays, loved him. Wished he got the ball more. But, you know, growing pains of a rookie. Now, of course, with everything, him moving down the depth chart and everything not being part of the starting group has everybody all up in arms. What's going on with Denzel Mims? We're going to get into that later, but I am, of course, rooting for Denzel Mims. My dad's right. 
There's a lot to like. It's August. There's no reason to be negative and pessimistic right now. You can be because you're a Jets fan and you've gone through this a million times and it never works. But at the same time, we're starting new and these aren't the same people. These aren't the same coaches. The only thing that's the same is the jersey they're wearing and the owners that are up in the booth and we aren't seeing much of them. So there's no reason to think that this team can't be turning it around right now. And this AFC East, you can say the Bills are really good, but to me, the division is up for grabs. I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to be changing in Buffalo. I don't think they just have a stranglehold in this division for years to come. I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be competing for sure. But I don't think they're what the Patriots were when they had Tom Brady. Of course they're not. That team was dominant. That was like every year you went in like, shit, we got to hope for a wild card spot again. And that's what we were all fighting for, the little scraps at the bottom. But that's not the Bills now. Any one of these teams, if they really come out and play well, can win this division, I believe that. It's going to be a, a long journey for the Jets, especially to do it this year, but it is possible. And you couldn't say that every year for the past 20 years. You couldn't. So thank you for the father time, Dad. I loved it this week. That was a good one. We are going to talk about everything else, offense and defense, that he didn't cover in that. But before we do that, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, welcome back to This Is The Jet Life, where we are about to talk offense and then defense positional updates. The Jets had their green and white scrimmage just a few days ago, and to be honest, the Jets won. They also lost, unfortunately, because it was Jets versus Jets. Haha. Ha. But Zach Wilson didn't play great. He was like 11 for 24 with some interceptions, no touchdowns. His drives only led to three points, and everybody was down on like, oh, man, this was his big coming out party. We wanted to get excited, and I get it. I wanted to get excited, too. I wanted to be like, wow, this guy took it by the reins and never looked back. But there's growing pains for rookies, and he's young, and the players that he's playing with aren't necessarily going to be on this team or part of the unit, and he's learning the offense, and there's a million things that go into it, but we're not going to live and die on anything that happens in any of these practices. We're not going to live and die on anything that happens in these training camp or preseason games. None of it, because at the end of the day, this isn't a game. They aren't game planning against the team trying to figure out, all right, how do we take away Zach Wilson's biggest strengths? How do we make him? They're trying to figure out who's going to make the team. They're going through the motions. They're learning the playbook. They are installing stuff for him. But some of these receivers, some of these guys, they're not going to be there. And the players that are there are going to get more opportunities. So when you see him shining with Elijah Moore and you're like, wow, every time he throws to Elijah Moore, it works. Seems like every time he throws to, you know, Chris Hurd and it doesn't work. Well, then you know what? Elijah Moore is going to be on the field and Chris Herndon won't be. Because that's what you do when it's the regular season. You don't do it now, so you have the growing pains, and we're not going to take too much out of it. We'd like to see some good stuff because we want to be excited for the next three, four weeks. Until football starts, as we're watching this stuff, we want to be fired up about stuff that really doesn't mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. But still, patience through the whole thing. My dad's got confidence in him. I've got confidence in him. It's a green and white scrimmage, just another practice. It's just a little bit more formal as they get into the stadium and they actually try to do a little bit of the timing drills. They try to give some reps as if it's a game, but still they don't treat it like a game exactly. Um, the real game is going to be upcoming against the Giants, and we'll see what happens there. But again, don't put too much in it. Don't live and die on the performances of anybody on this team. You know, if anybody gets injured, that's the big thing. No injuries, please. That's what we're trying to stay away from. We're going to go through all the positions and what everybody's done through preseason or training camp thus far, starting with the offense. Looking at the quarterback, Zach Wilson has been up and down. Absolutely up and down. He's had some great practices. He's had some players that he's really meshed with, Elijah Moore being one of them. He's had some bad practices. He's never been horrible. He hasn't been banged up. And he's out there learning and growing with the offense every single week. My dad just said that he just finished the entire playbook installation. So now it's going to be going back. Instead of every single practice being 12 to 15 new plays and working on those, then the next practice, 12 to 15 new plays working on those, it's going to be going back to, okay, we're circling back to the ones that we did, trying to find the ones that we were successful with. Keep working on those. You know, weed out the ones that maybe don't make sense with this offense, the skill set or the players that we have. So Zach Wilson, he's doing fine. Nothing to worry about there. When it comes to the backup quarterback, Josh Johnson's not making too much of an impression at this point, but it's gone back and forth between James Morgan and Mike White. And at first, James Morgan was doing bad, and then he was doing really well. And they're like, James Morgan's got a rifle. He's making some great throws. And then recently, in the last few days, it seems like it's leaning all Mike White. So I don't know exactly who's going to win that battle. I think most of that's going to come from the preseason games because they are going to get a lion's share of the time out there, and they both need it. Because if you're going to be putting them in in real game situations between Josh Johnson, James Morgan, and Mike White, they all need extensive playing time opportunities so they're not 
in that Luke Falk level when they do touch the field because it's bound to happen at some point. You get into a gym, even if it's just a series, you know? So I'm hoping it's James Morgan. I'm still rooting for him, absolutely, and uh, we'll see what happens, but the preseason is going to be very telling in that situation. When it comes to the running backs, Michael Carter has looked like the best running back, but another guy that's been really good is Tevin Coleman, and he's a guy that we signed, and we knew, like, Tevin Coleman's kind of got a name, but he's been injured, and we were wondering if he was just kind of a veteran on his last leg. I guess he's been really, really fast and looks really healthy, and he might be back to his old form. Now, because he's been injured a few times and because he was a backup for the Atlanta Falcons and then split time in San Francisco, even though he's been in the league for this long, he doesn't actually have as much wear on the tires as you might think. So because he's kind of got some fresh legs and he's coming off that injury where he didn't play for a little bit and he's kind of kicking butt with speed, you think to yourself, all right, that's going to be a really, really nice piece of this rotation with Michael Carter being good, Tevin Coleman playing well right now, and then Michael Pirine and Ty Johnson both having some moments here and there. I think those are your three and four running back. We'll see who gets the edge probably through preseason playing time, what they can do there. Josh Adams is on the back half, um, or really the back fifth. He's the number five guy right now in my mind. And uh, there's another guy, Austin Walters. He won't make the team, but he'll get some preseason time. We'll see if somebody gets injured or somebody really pops in preseason or really does horrible. It could change things. But right now, those same four running backs are looking like they're taking the job with Michael Carter being number one and Tevin Coleman being number two. Moving over to the tight ends. Actually, there is a fullback. Let's talk fullback. I guess Trevon Wesco, who's, you know, the makeshift fullback, is we haven't had one for the last couple of years because he can't really play tight end, and he's this baby Gronk they always talked about. And, uh, you know, I don't know. He's They're trying to find something to do with him. I guess the new coaching staff actually kind of likes him at fullback and thinks that his transition's going pretty well into that position from tight end. So because this offense, the Shanahan offense, always operates with a big-time fullback, it's possible that they think that he could be the guy, and if he is the guy playing fullback for the team, he may get more snaps and more time on the field than you'd think. And hopefully he can transition into something pretty special. I mean, they always said that he was a great blocker and pretty tough and had some, you know, an edge to him. If he can bring that out in the fullback game, that could be a very welcome sight. When you look at the actual tight ends, the guys that you're excited about, Tyler Croft's supposed to be a pretty good blocker, you know, supposed to be a decent receiver, but he's been injured. He's not been great. Chris Herndon, the guy competing with him, who's also a pretty good blocker and hopefully a more athletic and better receiver, he's not been great. I mean, he's had some moments. Yes, he's had some big plays. Both of them have, but they both are dropping passes. They're both inconsistent in the offense, and it's early. There's plenty of time to be better, but not great what we're seeing there. The only tight end that's really standing out as being pretty good is Kenny Yeboah has made some really nice plays. He flashed in the green and white scrimmage. He's flashed, flashed in a few practices, and he was a guy that was probably destined for the practice squad, probably still is. But if everybody's not showing up and Kenny Yeboah is, he may be out there. The one thing about Yeboah is he's not really a blocking tight end. He's more of a receiving guy. And how do they work him in? Because this offense is kind of predicated on outside running schemes and getting the wide receivers and tight ends and everybody blocking their man as early as possible to get the running back out wide. And if Yeboah can't do that, it's going to be very hard for him to find playing time. But in terms of receiving, he's definitely flashing and showing some stuff. Looking at the wide receivers. The wide receiver, Corey Davis, has been good, as advertised. Elijah Moore, we talked about him, the rookie. He is incredible. Every single every single practice, it feels like he's either getting a huge, deep play, he's making a diving catch or two, getting touchdowns, he's getting open, Zach Wilson throwing to him on like the first look, first play, time and time again. Elijah Moore is destined for greatness. You can already tell. From the minute he was drafted and had his post-game or post-draft interview, and then everything you saw about him afterwards, and then his talking to the media and everything. This is a guy that I was down on in my draft analysis and didn't want the Jets to take. And the more I see him, the more I just think I'm absolutely insane and have to reconsider everything that I thought I knew about scouting players and everything, because now I'm looking at, like, what could I not like about this guy? What could I not like about Elijah Moore, who every single practice shows up, says the right things, works the right way, can play all these different positions, and he's awesome. So really excited about him. He's probably... On offense, he's probably the biggest star of all of preseason, and he's just a rookie. The other wide receivers, my dad talked about Denzel Mims. This is a big deal to everybody right now. Denzel Mims is practicing with the second and third team of the offense, and everyone's like, what the heck? Denzel Mims is supposed to be a star. Denzel Mims should be on the field. We thought by now he was going to be like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes here. Jameson Crowder's out there having a slow camp right now, name not being mentioned very often, but he's going to be your slot guy, right? He's 
very, very good at that role. Corey Davis is going to be your outside wide receiver, and Elijah Moore is the best player in camp. That's your three receivers. You're going to play a running back, and you're probably going to play a tight end. That's your five non-offensive linemen and quarterback players. There's no scenario where Denzel Mims is a starter on this team. He does not replace Jameson Crowder, Corey Davis, or Elijah Moore. Keelan Cole also has the favor of the coaches and would be ahead of Denzel Mims because he's a proven player, can play inside and outside, and he's a he's similar sort of style to Denzel Mims, but he's been in the league longer, and he's a proven commodity, and they just brought him in for a reason. Joe Douglas wanted to get him the year before this year, couldn't, got him this year. So now you put Denzel Mims now as the five guy. That's what he's supposed to be. He's a backup receiver on this roster. He is not a starting receiver here. He's what Lawrence Cager was last year. He's what, you know, Josh Malone was last year when we had the number five receivers and whatnot. And they played because guys get injured. And Denzel Mims will have his opportunity to play. But a lot of wide receivers, I know we're getting kind of spoiled by the receivers these days who come in rookie season and just dominate like Justin Jefferson. But in most cases, the rule of thumb in wide receivers was wide receivers take time to develop. They're not first-year guys. Two, three years, four years, whatever. You had to get timing. It's all nuances of the position. It's breaking away from coverage. It's timing routes. It's getting right on the same path of the quarterback and getting into a rhythm that's just like you could do it with your eyes closed. And it's hard to do that, especially coming from an offense like Baylor. So give this guy a chance. He's got natural skill, natural ability. We know he can catch the ball really high in the air. We know he can make the body control changes. And there's not much more I can say other than Denzel Mims will be fine. He should be practicing with the second and third team. That's what he is here. But when it all is said and done, the guys like DJ Montgomery, Josh Malone, you know Jeff Smith, these are the guys that will be cut, and Denzel Mims will be there. His teammates on the second and third team will be gone, and he won't be. That's all there is to it. Other than that, you've got guys like we mentioned, uh, you know, Lawrence Cager, Vincent Smith, Jeff Smith, Josh Malone. These are some guys that are kind of standing out in training camp. They're playing pretty well. Um, having moments here and there. The only guys that really aren't standing out to me are Matt Cole and, you know, some of the even lesser names that were never even considered as competing for a roster spot. So that's kind of what you'd expect there. And then moving over to the offensive line, we saw, talked about Makai Becton when my dad father time talking Carl Lawson. Lawson is not consistently beating Makai Becton, but frequently beating Makai Becton. And the idea and the hope and the goal here is iron sharpens iron. Like Robert Salas said, Carl Lawson will not go up against a guy built like Makai Becton all year because Makai Becton is one of one. Nobody is that big playing that position in the league. When it comes to the other side, Carl Lawson is smaller and more compact and stronger than most defensive linemen that play against the Jets, almost any in the league, especially you know going up against Makai Becton. So when you look at it, he's also kind of one of one, and he's damn good. So you would expect somebody here to win. If Makai Becton was blocking Carl Lawson every single play and shutting him down, you'd be like, what did we just spend the money on? If Lawson's beating Makai every play, you're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on with Makai? Why can't he block? Somebody here's got to win. But if iron sharpens iron and they both get better and they play this season and, like, Makai's blocking guys, you know, slower, less strong, not as compact as Carl Lawson, and all of a sudden he's like, wow, this is easy. And Carl Lawson all of a sudden is like, wow, I was beating a mountain of a man. And they put in a guy that's, you know, 6'4" a measly 300 pounds, I'll get right by that guy. So that's the hope there, Makai Becton. I'm not too worried about what's happening. I'd like to see Elijah Vera Tucker on the field, but as we mentioned, he's day-to-day, so he's not playing at left guard. We've been moving in guys. You know, Alex Lewis was there, but he's out now. Cam Clark is out now because of the spinal injury. So you've got Dan Feeney competing. you got the new guy, David Moore, competing, and then some other, like, undrafted rookies and free agents and whatnot. Um, at the center spot, Connor McGovern probably doing fine, having a quiet camp, but you trust him. Right guard, you're playing Greg Van Roten because it's his spot to lose. He is the best right guard on this roster. And then right tackle, that's the interesting spot because you've got Morgan Moses competing with George Fant. And it's hard to say who's going to win right now because Morgan Moses is the bigger name. George Fant was on the team last year. They're both getting paid, you know, to play this year. George Fant's getting paid significantly more, but they both probably aren't on path to be on the roster next year. So it's who's the best man this year. Forget about future. And some say Morgan Moses maybe isn't great for the scheme. Some say he is. Some say George Fant is better for this new scheme, the outside zone scheme. It's tough to tell, but they're split in time, and that's a good battle. We'll see what happens in preseason games, who gets the starts, who plays well. You know, those are guys to monitor because there is actually a real battle going on there. So overall, that's kind of what's going on with the offense. 
I'm not worried about anybody because at this point, everybody for the most part, except for Elijah Vera Tucker, is healthy in that group. So very happy with what's happening. And we haven't seen the full playbook. We haven't seen any actual live gameplay yet. We'll have a lot more on next podcast after we've seen the Jets play at that point two preseason games. But please, so far, would like to see, you know, would like to see Zach Wilson have a few really, really great practices just to get everybody calmed down on Twitter where I spend way too much time. But can't be unhappy with the team right now. We are going to talk about defense next, but first, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's On Tap. And today, I'm drinking a new beer from Two Roads, which is in, what is it, from Stratford, Connecticut? I believe it's Stratford. Well, I can't find it at the moment, but roommate Kyle picked it up. It is a Connecticut brewery, and they make good beers, and this is a new one called Accelerator. It's got a robot on it, giving a peace sign. It says Accelerator, pretty cool little bottle. But it's a double Bach beer, 7.2% alcohol. So a double Bach beer, it's like a, it kind of reminds you like a stout or like a Oktoberfest type of beer. I know those are two totally different things. I don't drink a lot of stouts, to be honest, but it's uh, it's dark. It's flavorful. It's satisfying. I think it would be great in the fall. It's like really, really hot and humid here in Connecticut today. So probably not the perfect beer. For a hot summer day. But I saw it in the fridge. And roommate Kyle offered it to me. So a new beer by Two Roads. Connecticut beer. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to try it. And for the podcast, what could be better? So this one, 7.2% alcohol. Brewed by Two Roads. 12.4 ounce can here. Or 12, 12 fluid ounce bottle. I have no idea what just happened there. Uh, I'm like on autopilot sometimes with this stuff. Maybe... Anyways, brew to satisfied, all mankind, Two Roads Brewing Company. Delicious. Thank you, Kyle. I like it. It'll be better in the fall, I'm sure, but uh, a nice change of pace from what I usually drink because without this, I was either going to drink like a 10% triple IPA, which who knows what would happen by the end of podcast there, or a Coors Light or something that's up in the fridge upstairs because we just got a 30 of that, and nobody wants to hear about another Coors Light. We don't even, you know, we drink it, but we hate that we drink it because... Sometimes you just need to hydrate yourself. But you don't want to tell people, you know? Not on a podcast like this. You get one shot every two weeks. Let's make it something special. Anyways, that is today's What's on Tap. Now, before we go over to the defense, we do have to take a quick commercial break. All right, everybody, and welcome back. We are going to talk defense now. And the defensive line is the first group to get some love here. This group is awesome. I mean, the Jets invested so much in this. Over the years, they drafted guys. This year, brought in more guys, signed guys in free agency. And it's just like, how good do they want to make this unit? We understand that the defense will be predicated on the pass rush. Robert Sala loves that. That 4-3 defense, getting guys to quarterback is extremely important for everything that we're trying to do here. But this Jets defensive line, I got 10 guys making the roster right now in my projected 53-man roster. That'd be Quinnen Williams, Sheldon Rankins, Foley Fatakasi, Carl Lawson, Vinnie Curry, tell me when you're not impressed with somebody. What? John Franklin Myers, Jabari Zaniga, Nathan Shepard, Ronald Blair, and Jonathan Marshall. Right now we have like three or four of those guys injured, so we'll see what happens. It'll work itself out with, you know, Kyle Phillips is on the back end of that, Rashid Hamilcar, Tenzel Smart, I think probably will not make the roster at this point. But there's some other guys that could be in there. They could carry less than 10 as well if injuries continue to persist in that group but it's the one group that really you can withstand anything because you got 10 awesome players there and in reality when you look at this whole thing and Carl Lawson's playing as well as he is and Quinn Williams is bound to come back and have a great year and Rankins too and across the board this group this is a top five defensive line in football I'm going to say that right now I think PFF they had them ranked seven or eight in the NFL just going into this year they're better than that this is a top five defensive line and if the main pieces in Carl Lawson and Quinn and Williams stay healthy, you're going to see it. Because Sheldon Rankins is great. Foley Fadikasi is great. And I love having Vinnie Curry and Ronald Blair and John Franklin Myers, but so many of those guys are going to be rotating in and out. And like, gosh, but you can't play Ronald Blair. You have to put in John Franklin Myers and Nathan Shepard. It's like you always have another guy you can put in. So keep those two guys healthy, and this defensive line is going to be dominant. They are better at rushing the passion passer than they are at stopping the run, but you still have some specialists like Foley Fadikasi who can absolutely stuff the run. John Franklin Myers can do it, and it's going to be fun because we've had a bad pass rush for a very long time, 
and it can be very frustrating watching a quarterback stand in the pocket for five seconds and deliver to a wide-open wide receiver that your cornerbacks can't cover for five seconds. Then you go to the other side of the ball, and your quarterback's constantly under duress, and he's throwing the ball away because he's got no time to think. And it's like, what the heck? Now the Jets have a great defensive line, and they're working on having a very, very good offensive line. So both of those things are going to change, and it's going to be very, very welcome sight. Love the defensive line. I love it. Go to the linebackers. This is a very, very interesting group because they bring in two safeties in Jamie and Sherwood and Hamsin Nasraldine, and they move them to linebacker to play, you know, one of these hybrid moneybacker type of roles that Robert Sal is going to use. That's great. He says both of those guys are doing very well. Hamsa probably is going to be a starter. One of the three linebackers with Gerard Davis and C.J. Mosley. When you looked at it, you're like, all right, we don't really know what we have here because in the back end, Blake Cashman has been injured all the time. We don't know what he's going to do. Apparently right now he's healthy, so an opportunity there for this guy to continue growing. But C.J. Mosley was like an opt-out, injured the year before. He's not played in two years. We have no, is he just collecting a paycheck at this point or is he going to have good football left in him? And he said he wanted to play football and we believed him. Apparently, he is dominating. He was great in the green and white scrimmage. He's flying around the field in practice. And probably of all players in the entire training camp thus far for defensive players, C.J. Mosley has stood out as the best one. And that makes sense because he's making like $17 million a year. But you weren't expecting it after the injuries and the opt-out last year and just where everything was. It just felt like we were going to get screwed by that contract. It sounds like the best player on the team, what's supposed to be, is playing like it. And if that happens, which we weren't even expecting... That's going to change everything because now you got a guy in the middle of the defense who can do a little bit of everything and absolutely wreck a game. If you don't remember what it looks like when a player can wreck a game, just go watch the one game he played with the Jets against the Buffalo Bills two years ago. That's wrecking a game. Now, everybody else, there's some question marks. Gerard Davis, we'll see what he can do. Apparently, he's had some good moments. Blake Cashman, we mentioned he's healthy, but how good is he? We don't know. The rookies, we'll find out. But that's a very fun group, and I think that having... C.J. Mosley is just that anchor. Like, you feel so much better about the whole thing. It's like, all right, Gerard Davis doesn't have to be awesome because you have such a good player next to him. Then another guy in that group that's really, really shining that potentially could have been in the defensive line group, probably should have been, is Bryce Huff. Bryce Huff has had a very, very good preseason or training camp thus far, and he probably will end up making the roster on the defensive line, wherever they want to put him. He will make the roster, it seems like, because he's playing very, very well. So now moving over to the defensive backs, we're going to start cornerback. This is a group we were really worried about because we don't have a great starting group. We lost our nickel cornerback to go with a guy like Javelin Guidry or a rookie. And then we brought in a bunch of late mid-round draft pick rookies and undrafted guys just to kind of fight it out with no free agent acquisitions. Now we talk about how this defense is built on the pass rush and the cornerbacks are only supposed to cover for so long. The cornerbacks are supposed to... Guard the very first throw. Make sure that the quarterback can't throw to his first option. Then the defensive line gets pressure and starts putting pressure on the quarterback, and now he's under duress, and he can't make his third, fourth, maybe even second throw. Has to go to a check down, and your linebackers are fast, 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 and they cover and shut that down. That's the idea of this defense. And you need your cornerbacks to be good for the first two seconds, and then your safety is to help, and they need to be able to tackle. So there wasn't a ton put in investment-wise in that group. But apparently Bryce Hall's been playing very, very well. Now, he's guarding Elijah Moore a ton in practice. And I guess even though Elijah Moore, this is kind of a weird situation because Elijah Moore is the best offensive player. But Bryce Hall the whole time has been covering him very well. So a lot of times what it is is like perfect white on rice coverage, but then Elijah Moore makes a diving catch or a huge play, which is like, that's really great that Bryce Hall is step for step with this guy who's a great route runner. Really impressive looking when you watch him play in practice. But then also Elijah Moore is able to get the separation at the very last second and make the play, and Zach Wilson trusts in him to do that. So it's kind of like great on all three aspects of the play. So I love to hear that. On the other side, apparently people are coming around on Blashawn Austin as being a viable number two cornerback, and they're like, you know what? Blashawn Austin actually may win the number two job. Of course he will. Blashawn Austin is the number two cornerback on this team right now until somebody takes it from him. He was one of the best cornerbacks that we've had in the last, like, two years. And I'm not saying that he's playing really, really well, but he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He tackles all right. And the biggest issue was we thought he was never going to be available, but he was. And I don't know how you could look at this guy and think that you'd play like Lamar Jackson or a player you've never seen play over him. But Sean Austin is in line to be the other cornerback opposite of Bryce Hall. 
and may even in some situations get cornerback number one wide receiver matchups and stuff for him because that's just where he's at in this group. Now, we're waiting for these other players to step up. Somebody like, you know, Brandon Eccles, Jason Pinnock, can they step up and take a spot? You know, Isaiah Dunn, Elijah Campbell, we got some other players, Lamar Jackson, they're fighting for spots, some of them nickel. But um, it looks like it's going to be Bryce Hall, Bashawn Austin starting, and then you're fighting in that slot spot. Maybe you got Michael Carter or you got Javelin Guidry. Maybe even somehow Elijah Campbell breaks the roster and gets one of those roles. They're probably not going to cut one of these rookies unless they're doing really bad. I haven't heard anything about uh, any of them playing poorly or being uh, really manhandled or anything in practice, but there's only so many reports coming out. And again, we take everything with a grain of salt here. It comes down to their, you know, those little things that the coaches are looking at that we can't see, like hip movement, and they give them direction. Can they take the advice and use it on the next play? That's the stuff that we can't hear, we can't necessarily see. We just watch the end result and be like, oh, it was a touchdown grab by Corey Davis. Wow, Jets did great today. So Yeah, there's another, like, 21 players playing on the field other than Corey Davis. So let's not just think that everything is great because it ends in a touchdown. That also was scored against your defense. But I digress. Cornerback group, we'll see if it can do a serviceable job. If this defensive line is top five, it'll make the cornerbacks look a lot better. Just like they looked a lot better in the 49ers group than they probably really are. Those guys, a lot of those players they were looking at, you know, that were free agents for the 49ers that I thought maybe the Jets would go after, they weren't as highly coveted by other teams in free agency because I think a lot of them understand the defense isn't really built around cornerback coverage. It's built around the pass rush, and the Jets will be like that as well. Moving over to the safety group, Marcus May. He's been a little quiet this camp. I tell you this right now. Marcus May wants to be paid a pretty, a pretty penny. Not the most, but a pretty penny. He's getting the franchise tag right now, and essentially, when I look at this thing, with Ashton Davis as the rookie and the ability to find safeties and the amount of money that he wants to make, if he doesn't have an incredible year this year, he probably will not be a Jet. If he doesn't have an insane year, they're not going to give him the second franchise tag. And if he doesn't if he doesn't have an insane year, but he still wants to be paid good money, then I'm sorry, Joe Douglas is just not the type of guy to do that. He's going to let him walk. Unless Marcus May is like, hey, you know what? I had a down year. I think uh, this is probably who I really am. And now that I'm getting older, why don't I take a little bit of a a pay cut from what I thought I was going to make. Let's go back a little bit. He's probably not going to do that. He's got a pretty good body of work. If he stays healthy this year, um, you know, so we'll see what happens. If he gets injured, maybe then he signs a team-friendly deal. If he has a really bad year and humbles himself a little bit from that, maybe. If he's got an amazing year and Joe Douglas wants to pay him really, really good money for it, but if he has, like, a B-plus season, I imagine he's not coming back to this team. The other guys, Ashton Davis, not currently ready to play. A lot of people had him penciled in as the starter for the other safety, but LaMarcus Joyner was a very, very good safety with the Rams before being switched out of position to play with the Raiders, which is a mess over there to begin with, but he was a very good safety, and Robert Sala being with the 49ers had to go up against the Rams twice a year, and Joyner was a very good player then. He still has that inside of him. He's had some good practices. He will be a good opposite safety of Marcus May. Pleased with that. When you go to special teams, Braden Mann has no competition. Thomas Hennessy, no competition. The kicker, Sam Thicken's gone, so it's Chris Nagar versus, you know, Matt Amendola. So we don't know what we're dealing with here. We probably do not have our active kicker for week one on the roster. But if we do, we need these guys to kick well every single day just in case we go in there. The only good sign of this whole thing is that it won't be Sam Thicken. So that's what's going on with the defense through training camp thus far. A lot more to come. And we haven't played any preseason games yet. So, again, take it all with a grain of salt. Even in the the preseason games, take it with a grain of salt because there's a lot more going on than meets the eye when you see some of these plays. And the coverage isn't quite as deep. And, you know, there's not as much going on media-wise with it all. So narratives can kind of be taken and ran with a little bit more than they should be. But we're going to have football. Every single day we're getting live updates. We're watching the training camp battles. And there's going to be a lot more to come. Upcoming for the Jets, in terms of their schedule, we've got August 14th, 7.30 p.m., the first preseason game against the Giants. In this case, the Giants are home, so that's fine. We're still playing at MetLife, but the Giants will have the representation and everything, which actually works out well because every year the big thing is a big group of my friends, all the Jets fans and Giants fans from my area, uh, we all meet up and we go to the Jets-Giants preseason game. We tailgate, we go crazy. It's like the big event of the year. I don't like to miss regular season Jets games because I like to watch them on TV where I can rewind the play 
and watch it over and over to figure out what happened. It's really hard to do that live and then come home and everything. It's just you lose all the so many little things that you need to see, whatever. So I like to go to the preseason games because you can still get a feel of going to the stadium, seeing what it's like, but you don't have to miss the opportunity. Plus, like, the broadcasts for a preseason game are so-so to begin with. And uh, because we live in Connecticut, Jets, Giants fans, you get a big group. This year, looking at the tickets, you can't find 15 tickets next to each other in a section anymore because of COVID and everything. They kind of split them up. And so you can find four here, four there. And we were like, listen, I don't want to split up into four different groups of people in all different spots. And so my buddy, Dino, actually painted his entire garage to be a replica of MetLife Stadium where it's painted around you and it feels like you're in the stadium and the TV is the Jumbotron. And it's actually pretty incredible. And so he invited all the same people that would go to that game over for a tailgate in his yard and then a big old bash there. He's got a bunch of TVs going. We're going to bring wings, do a whole thing. I'm very excited for it. Um, I probably will be way more inebriated than I should be to actually take good analysis and notes. But luckily, it'll be two weeks removed from the next podcast and we'll have another preseason game after that. So no one will even care or notice. It's going to work out magnificently. But that's what I'm doing. I'll probably post a picture on Twitter of just this MetLife Stadium garage setup because it is just awesome and bizarre at the same time because this is the man's garage and uh, it looks like this forever, even when we're not tailgating. But that is awesome. And other than that, after that, before the next podcast episode, the Jets and Packers are going to play. They're going to do a joint practice as well, playing against each other. So that'll be nice to get a practice against another team in. And then Jets-Packers, 425 Saturday, August 21st. So two Saturday games in a row. And then the podcast is going to be on the 24th, that following Tuesday. After that, we will have one more podcast the Tuesday before the season starts. And then after that, every single Tuesday as the season goes on, by a week included, as far as it goes. Even through the postseason, if the Jets make the postseason, we will continue doing it every single week, every single Tuesday. That would be awesome. But uh, we haven't had that yet. Since this podcast has existed, there have been no playoff games. We don't really know how that works. Still, open to the idea would embrace it wholeheartedly. And that's what we got. So next podcast, 824. Be there, be square. That's it. Follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. Rate, review, subscribe. Engage with me on Twitter. Let's talk Jets. Who do you like? Who don't you like in preseason? Are you seeing different stuff than me? Very possible. Let's talk about it. Let's engage. Until then, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 